Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our Bible reading today comes from the 32nd chapter of the book of Genesis, which can be found in page 26 of your pew Bible. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise, everything they had with them. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him there until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said to him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. The man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you're asking my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Well, it shouldn't be a surprise since Doc is in the room. Um, I know many of you wonder how he's doing, and uh, he, he's doing well. Look at that smile. Uh, we're so glad uh, that his, the surgery uh, was well, and he's been getting stronger. Uh, took a, snuck into the office a couple of days and has uh, appreciated all of your prayers um, as has the staff as we uh, deal with his absence when he's not around. We're glad you're here this morning. Doc's original text was Isaiah 55. I taught Sunday school uh, on it, and had I realized way back then I was teaching Sunday school, I might have preached on it. But instead, we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 32 reviewing some of the great work Doc did earlier this year on the life of Jacob. But this is a story that I just keep getting drawn back to all the time. And thanks to Duncan for reading this wrestling match that we're considering today. So that leads me to my first question. It might be an odd one. How many wrestling fans do we have in the crowd today? <laughs> well, that might seem like an odd question to ask. I've got a confession to make. One of the most memorable events from my childhood, in addition to that Rolling Stones concert I've already told you about with my aunt, is a trip to the Greenville Memorial Auditorium. And I was watching live wrestling. Some may even use the word wrestling. 
I can still feel the heat of the walk from the parking lot into the venue. My uncle attempting to make fun of the crowds who were walking in with us, he'd say. Have you got your toothpicks? What about your cigarettes? He would yell it aloud. My cousin Chris and I were the main spectators, but it was a fun night for my mother and her brother too. We were family headed inside the Greenville Memorial Auditorium to watch the Rock and Roll Express defend their uh, title against either the Four Horsemen or their greatest rivals, Jim Cornette's Midnight Express. I can't remember who they wrestled, but I'll never forget running down towards the ring with my cousin from our seats, lining up where Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson would walk by and being there when they did, reaching out, handing off and receiving a high five from the dynamic duo I so greatly admired. Now my experience as a teenager in Greenville, the impression it made on my memory bank and the way I was drawn into the action that night has me wondering why humanity is so enthralled with wrestling matches. Did you know the most successful franchise, the WWE, reaches approximately 800 million homes worldwide through its television programming? 800 million. It has over 35 billion views on YouTube, making the platform its largest social media presence. And WWE's flagship show, WWE Raw, I'm not promoting it, I'm just telling you (laughs) that it averages more than 2 million viewers a week in the U.S. And that the WWE generates more than $1 billion in annual revenue. Now those are staggering numbers. And I know here at Second Ponce, we're a refined bunch. Maybe your household is not one of the two million who tunes in each week to watch the theater of WWE wrestling. In fact, I gave it up during my teenage years. I don't really find myself tuning in to the broadcast these days. But there's something about struggle, isn't there? There's something about that struggle that slows us and grabs our attention when we see tragedy unfolding, theater being played out. It's why so many people slow down on an expressway when police are gathered. No matter what's happened or happening, everyone's slowing down for a peak. Even with no lanes blocked, we've got to figure out what's going on. In the midst of the wrestling match, Jacob's wrestling match, is where we find ourselves this morning. This story from Scripture seems to draw me in every time I read it. It has this magnetic pull. Now remember, Genesis portrays Jacob as a brazen trickster, deceiving members of his own family, including his father Isaac, his brother Esau, and his uncle Laban. 
And at the same time, Genesis depicts Jacob as God's chosen. It's Jacob whom the entire people of Israel derive and for whom they are named. These two truths coexist together in that book and in tension with one another. Jacob, the unrepentant trickster, and yet the one who God has chosen. So here's some additional context. He's just left Laban's house and not on the best of terms. He's kind of running a bit. More trickster stuff. And Jacob and his family are headed toward probably Jacob's greatest threat in his brother Esau, who he tricked 14 years prior. Now Jacob has already heard rumblings about this group of 400 men whom Esau's already sent to meet him. And he's fearful for his life and the life of his family. In fact, Jacob has attempted to send peace offerings ahead to Esau, and he's prayed to God for deliverance, which God seems to have promised already. Nevertheless, Jacob is a ball of nerves. Even with that context understood, I still have tons of questions. Why does Jacob go to all the trouble of crossing, fording this river, and then taking his wives and all his cattle and children only to head back across it to spend the night alone? Has he sent his family across to see how it goes? That would be terrible. What a terrible example. If they survive, maybe I'll go. (laughs) Is he shrinking and shirking from the immediate responsibility he has to fall repentantly in front of his brother sending his entire family towards 400 men who might not have kind intentions. We all want to think more of Jacob. We all want to believe that Jacob simply has more work to do before being able to cross back over and continue his life. Before he can rectify this relationship he has that's ruptured with Esau. And so, we find him across the Jabbok. The question is only multiplies, the story continues. Who is this being with whom Jacob wrestles and what prompts this night-long battle? The scripture clearly describes this being as nothing more than another human being, a man. Walter Brueggemann says this, Perhaps it's important that the narrative is not explicit. It's an opaque portrayal of the figure. The narrative does not want us to know too much. It's part of the power of wrestling that we do not know the name or see the face of the antagonist. To be too certain would be to reduce the dread intended in the telling. It is most plausible that in the present form, the hidden one is Yahweh, the God of the universe. I like what Robert Alter also has to say. He also thinks this hiddenness of God is important Alter says, the real point, as Jacob's adversary himself suggests when he refuses to reveal a name, is that he resists identification. Appearing to Jacob in the dark of the night before the morning when Esau will be reconciled with Jacob, he is the embodiment of pretentious antagonism in Jacob's dark night of the soul. 
He is obviously, in some sense, double, a doubling of Esau as adversary, but it's also doubling of all with whom Jacob has contended. And he may equally be, equally be well be an externalization of all that Jacob has to wrestle with in himself. Alter saying, this being, an angel of God, a human, is is encapsulated, Jacob is wrestling with all that he has, has, has to face, both outside and inside. I think Alter points to something even more important than the hiddenness of the name of Jacob's wrestling partner, and it's something that I want us to consider today. Wrestling matches describe what religious folks call the dark night of the soul. This inner wrestling of conscience and spirit, of will and fortitude, that's exactly, I believe, what Jacob is doing on the wrong side of this river. Jacob begins wrestling in the darkness. Jacob is wrestling with himself and with God who's called him to something bigger than what he's shown thus far. Jacob is wrestling with the future encounter he'll have with his brother Esau. Jacob is wrestling with who he is, who he has been. And one thing about, that's true about the darkness is that darkness always raises an ugly head. Darkness is going to show up. Darkness is pervasive. Darkness is all-encompassing. And darkness grows a fear that constricts us. Now, this dark night work is important work, though, both for Jacob and for us. No one said it was going to be easy work. No one said it wouldn't leave scars or the need to process or even grief to work through. But dark work is important work. One of my favorite preachers, Leslie Weatherhead, wrote, Like all men, I love and prefer the sunny uplands of experience when health, happiness, and success abound but I have learned far more about God and life and myself in the darkness of fear and failure than I have ever learned in the sunshine. There are such things as the treasures of darkness. The darkness, thank God, passes, but what one learns in the darkness, one possesses forever. Jacob was wrestling with God in the dark. I do continue to wonder about the significance of all the names at the end of the chapter, especially this new name Jacob receives, Israel. But what I'm most captured by at the end of the story is the blessing he's wrestled for. For the first time in Jacob's life, he finally faces the struggle for the first time, he finally goes towards what's approaching him instead of running. 
At every other moment of struggle in his life, he turns and runs. Now, it's not easy. It takes all night. Jacob's wrestling match is one we can't take our eyes off of, and it lasts until the morning. But the dawn breaks. We can't help but ask what sort of blessing he's received as he limps back to his family. The truth is, darkness has shown up in our lives too. Heck, darkness is all around us this minute, isn't it? Each of us is wrestling with an adversary. Some of us are wrestling with what seem like small things, things we could probably handle this afternoon. Some of us are wrestling with things with names. We wrestle with onerous and unsettled family members. We wrestled with troubling diagnoses. We even wrestle with the new phase of life and limits of our aging bodies. But many of us are wrestling with the beasts that are too big to either name aloud, but especially to tame on our own. Maybe we think our wrestling match is with another, but truthfully, I think the biggest struggle is something strong inside each of us. That strengthening force has left scars on us over time, to be sure. And some scars are seen by others, but the most insidious scars are hidden deep, deep within us. Those hidden scars have been left by an adversary we run from at every turn, just like Jacob did. Our job, though, is to hang on just like Jacob, the man who, through his struggle, gets a new name, Israel. Now, to be sure, this struggle we're about will leave a mark. In fact, the dark night work will be so shaping, not only will it leave a mark, but we'll remember where it happened. Each of us has a jabbock to cross, and an adversary to wrestle. But I'd argue this work shouldn't be done alone. Before we face our adversary, we've got to open ourselves to God and surrender, get ready, control. We've got to let go of all the things that give us status and power all the things that tell us the lie that we have the power in those wrestling moments to face all the adversaries too big for us to slay. We've got to get to the point where we say, okay, God, it's too big for me to wrestle with on my own. I surrender. That's what Jacob does, I think. Jacob, who's wrestling, marks him with a limp. He'll carry the rest of his life surrenders his own will to God's. But only after he sees God face to face. Jacob surrenders to the God who offers him a new name, a new identity, and promises hope out of darkness. Jacob surrenders to the God who has always picked him up and dusted him off. Time after time, after time. So what's this all mean for us? 
If we've purchased our ticket, we've got to make the walk from the parking lot inside the auditorium. We've got to pay attention to the wrestling match. But first, we've got to admit that we're dependent on God. If we do that, the promise of Scripture is that God will show up. That's what God does. Shows up in all our darkness. These wrestling matches aren't always going to break our way. We'll probably be marked in some moment with a limp. But in a sense, that's the blessing of the struggle, isn't it? It's what Jacob earned, and it's what earned Jacob a new name. And my hope is that these limp-inducing wrestle matches, wrestling matches where God shows up and offers hope out of the darkness, will also remind us today and the days to come of the name we have been given, beloved child of God. Will you pray with me? God, we wrestle with so much. Like Jacob, we pray for the courage to cross back over and wrestle. Give us the ability to lay down all of the things that we believe give us strength. And turn to you, who is our strength and our redeemer. And in these moments, as we respond... Open up our hearts to the message you have for each of us. We pray all of this in the transforming name of the one who conquered all, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.